Before we get to the episode today, I want to thank our sponsor, Surf Prep Sanding. Whether you're looking for the highest quality of sanders, dust extractors, or abrasives, Surf Prep has what you need to take your project to the next level. I've been using Surf Prep for a couple of years now and know firsthand the quality of their products. The amazing family who stands behind their brand is by far the best in the industry. Use code MAKERLOUNGE, all one word, for 10% off your order at surfprepsanding.com. Thank you to Surf Prep for sponsoring today's episode. We had them in the uh, episode last week, and we recorded live from WorkbenchCon. Uh, so thank you again to Surf Prep. Also, thank you to our patrons. We've got a number of new patrons this week. We've got Dennis Stilger, Matt Maynard with Patriotic Pines of North Carolina, and David Hopkins, as well as uh, a new one, I think, today, which was Brad's Customs. So thank you to our Patreon members. We'll do a shout-out of all the top tier patrons at the end of the episode if you want to get in on the after show action where we record some extra content exclusive content uh, head over to patreon.com slash maker lounge podcast and we've got a couple patreons watching us live right now welcome to the lounge i'm matt with boltner woodworking and your host of the maker lounge podcast where every friday we have a rotating group of makers hanging out and talking shop with each other if you're new to the channel make sure that you hit subscribe so you can catch future episodes after several years living a dream job for one of the tool industry's leading companies, he stopped wearing green and stitched together his own company. With a 40-year-old hand-me-down sewing machine from his mom, he taught himself how to sew, and now he owns one of the maker community's most well-known apron companies. That sums it up pretty good, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from work aprons to belts, wallets, and everything in between, he has sewn his way into the community. <laughs> Michael with Calavera Thanks, Tools. Uh, Welcome thanks to for having me, for sure. Um, you know, so just to jump right in to that, uh, yes, I did almost get kicked out of the, the hotel. Um, that the security guard was waiting on me. He was uh, he was ready to pounce, as you saw. Um, it's just so funny yeah. that yeah, why shut down a good giveaway? You know, that's that before we we go too far and it, it gets lost like i love doing these giveaways if if you're if you've been following along right. you know like i am very comfortable jumping up on a table or a pedestal of some sort and just making it rain <laughs> you're, yeah, yeah you're like the, oprah the, here's but here's the funny <laughs> thing about that is it seems like it's a bottle of glue it's like a eight ten dollar bottle of glue like yeah who really cares but people do care. Oh yeah. And tight bond has been super generous with me over the years and they just totally support, you know, the, the whole vibe of making people happy. Like, you know, Hey, let's send down a pallet of glue. And Michael's right. just going to randomly give it out and they don't ask any questions. They're not looking for ROI, but they know that I'm going to jump up there. And, and so it comes down to this is it's like when I'm reaching out a bottle of glue or, you know, uh set of coasters or whatever it is, the look of joy, the look of excitement in people's eyes. Right. And I, I think it's less about the value of the product and more that maybe they've never won anything. Maybe they've never had somebody right. just reach out and randomly give them something for free that they will use. It's not just like some stupid tchotchke. It's something that they'll actually use. And people get so fired up about these things. Right. And uh, so the other night when I was walking up, like 
I I had my big orange suitcase that I always have jacked full of stuff because that's that's kind of like when you see the orange suitcase, you know the the love is coming. He's exactly. coming in hot. And uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, you, people saw me walking up with that and a crowd started gathering around. And I'm looking around. I'm like, I didn't announce this. I haven't been here in three years. Like, how do these people know that this is about to, to go down? And sure the hell enough, yeah. they knew exactly what was going on. And uh, so I jumped up there, up there and I, I think I got through. A, a very small handful of stuff, uh, a couple of Calavera journals and T-shirts, and then I hear some guy shouting at me, and I literally hit him in the head with the T-shirt, <laughs> and that he keeps yelling at me, and I'm like, "What? You already got a T-shirt?" And he's like, "Nope, nope, get down, get down." And it was a security guard <laughs> that I had hit in the head with the T-shirt. So yeah, 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 that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, you you basically got up there and you said, "Who wants free?" You know. <laughs> Yeah, we don't use expletives all here on the podcast, but it was funny. And yeah, sure enough, I mean, yeah, it was a couple couple items and it was yeah. shut down. And then you disappeared. And I thought, oh my god, did they drag? No, him out? I I started <laughs> quietly handing some stuff out, but then basically over the course of the the few day show, I just kept the the suitcase with me and you know just randomly put stuff on tables here and there and you know see somebody who needed a little bit of love, hooked him up with a little bit of love. Yeah. Well, um, I had, uh, Joni was walking around and she had like these little mini bottles of, of tight bond. And she's like, Hey, does anybody want this? And I was like, yes. Uh, like, it, and yeah, I mean, I get free stuff all the time, but even still like the little tiny bottle of tight bond, I'm like, Oh, I've never seen yeah, something that's the, tiny before. I got, I've had so a lot naturally. Go a lot of those. I, you know, over the years that I've been doing this, um, we get a lot of free stuff. And in, in my years in the tool industry specifically, it was always kind of the, not the running joke, but it was just well known. Like I had this weird Midas touch where I could reach out and, you know, get our training center hooked up with all manner of awesomeness just for the phone call because, you know, people want to cross pollinate and, um, I, I got right. really, really good at it. And then, you know, you gotta, it, it. I had, when I, I was on a panel a couple of years ago and we were talking about, you know, people going up and approaching sponsors and they were, somebody was asking like, well, how do I approach a, a festival or even a Calavera? And one of the number one things is you have to be able to show value. Like don't just go ask for stuff mm -hmm. and expect them to look at your numbers. Like that's just stupid and naive and it's not going to get you very right. far. And it's going to be annoying to the person you're asking so that if you ever do establish credibility, they're going to remember that you cold called them with nothing. So much better to go in right. there prepared and say, hey, look, this is what I'm going to do. This is the value that I'm going to bring to you. Here's how I'm going to do it a little bit differently. But don't come at me. Yeah. Don't come at me, bro, with, you know, 200 <laughs> followers on YouTube a a growing 500 yeah. follower account on instagram but you're going to put a lot more effort into it in the next year and all you need is a badass apron to to make it a reality yeah like yeah it's not really how this works so for uh for an apron company or i mean you do other things we'll get into that but for for your type of thing are you you're looking specifically for this is how i would showcase it or is this like or these are the types of 
you know, ways that I would use the the apron. It's a little bit different than like a, a standard right. tool. Right. Right. So you're, you're looking for something kind of out of you're, the box from people. Oh, you're saying if people you. were to approach me. Um, yeah, I would yeah. say that, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, high follower count and likability go a long way. Likeability goes a right. long way. A long way, yeah. And, I mean, I, I've definitely, you know, there was a, a long list of uh, contacts that had free and discounted aprons from WorkbenchCon. But, yeah, you know, those were perfect people to put them on. And, you know, let me say, some of them are hardcore knife makers, hardcore, and I think this answers your question a little bit better. Um, yeah, some of them are hardcore knife makers and furniture builders building art, right? Mm -hmm. And some of them are DIY channel, you know, HGTV level influencers, right? And, you know, right, right. I, I hate to focus on, you know, how many things I give away. I give very, very little away, you know, like in terms of the aprons. Right. Um, but let's face it, WorkbenchCon was about going and building those networks and, you know, meeting the people that you would want to showcase that product. Um, right. And just to, to a large degree, you know, let's say our average apron price, I say our average, somewhere between three, you know, most of our aprons are between three and $500. Some of the, the, the fancier mm -hmm. ones get up around the $800 range, but most of them we sell mm -hmm. are between three and $500. And, you know, most people are used to spending 40 bucks on an apron. They go down to Lee Valley or Rockler or something like that. They're going to drop 35, 40 bucks on an apron. So when you put a $400 apron right. in front of them, you're building on aspiration or I might have hardcore furniture makers on one hand that I'm I'm working with, but on the other hand, I might be working with somebody who's much more DIY HGTV. And let me say, the ladies too. Um, I, I really that was one of my initiatives at WorkbenchCon was to really connect with, um, you know, and I wasn't looking for. Really, I was not looking for a high follower count. It was more about Annette from 513. Oh, man, I just oh, yeah. love her. Mm -hmm. she's, she's one of our Patreon members. Oh, really? Cool. And she's just so yeah, extremely yeah. talented. And there's no... <laughs> See, watch this. I use a lot of foul language, but I'm dialing it back here <laughs> for you. Um, yeah, that's all right. Yeah, just right. more time in post but, uh, Yeah, there's no BS <laughs> about her. Like, there's no... You know, she's yeah. not putting on a show. She's just doing hard work, just mm -hmm. like anybody else. And I appreciate that so much. Like, that's what I'm looking for, is somebody mm -hmm. who is genuine yeah. and connects with their audience, and people love them because of that. But that's not to say that right. I don't also have some relationships with extremely high follower account people because they have high follower accounts, because yeah. I want to build awareness. Now, on to, let's say, price points, is not everybody needs... A $500 apron. Mm -hmm. But the more awareness that I can build, maybe they're not buying a $500 apron. Maybe they buy the $300 apron, or maybe they buy a wallet, or maybe they buy right. a journal, or you know, maybe I come out with more products down the line, and at least they've heard of Calavera. So mm -hmm. a lot of it is building awareness. Um, 
you know, one thing that I've said for a very long time, especially as it relates to Instagram, is, <clears throat> you know, like if I go to a show like WBC or any other show, and I hate going to shows, just for the record. Like, I had a really good time, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I had, I yeah. am really comfortable in my small shop back here. In the... Well, you're, work, you're working. You're working out, right. out at yeah. those shows too, right? Um, but yeah. So what I have said for a very, very long time is, $500 apron is not really an impulse purchase. It's not something somebody sees and says, oh my gosh, I got to have that. That's That thing is awesome. Never seen it before in my life. Mm -hmm. Let me just go buy it. What it is, is right. I have to build, let's say, community. I have to build my Instagram following. I have to build that awareness so that that top of the funnel up here, I got 55,000 people in the top of that funnel. And it might take them a year. It might mm -hmm. take them three years to get down to the bottom of the funnel where they're actually a customer because, you know, that $500 apron, she ain't cheap. And it's going to last you the rest of your life, but it's going to take you some time to get over the hurdle of that price tag. Right. And so what I, I just always consider it, it is a very long sell. And I, I don't, and that's why I, I try not to be too salesy on the channel or, or feed. I mean, every once in a while I'll run a promo or, or whatever it is. And that's pretty salesy, but for the most part, I'm, I'm doing my best yeah. to keep people interested with the content and how we're doing it and who we are, like the story of Calavera so mm -hmm. that they want to buy from us. It's not just the apron anymore. They want to buy from us because they believe in what we're doing and they know that, you know, we're going to make a great product and they're not going to be disappointed. Yeah. Well, I'm about two years into your funnel. And, uh, you know, like you say, I, I equate it to like Sanders. Uh, I've, I've spent probably, well, I probably owned six or seven Sanders before the Sanders that I own today, which are yeah. a higher price point. And when I got them, I realized, you know, yep. what I had been missing. You know, you, you, you spend so much money on the lower aprons. And I've got a couple cheaper aprons. And I found you a couple years ago. And for me, it's a matter of, and it's it's not a matter of trust or anything like that. I know it's good quality stuff. I've seen it in person. I've got friends who who own them. Uh, Brian McCullough, he's Brian made it. Oh, he's yeah. great. Yeah, he just he moved away. He he was he lived about ten minutes away from me in Texas here, and then he just moved up to Jersey. So I don't see him anymore. But is I I was yeah. wondering where he. That's a whole other topic. We'll get we'll come around to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, you know, I've seen the aprons in person and so I know they're good quality. And in fact, I think that's when I started uh, following you. I was like, okay, I need to make that investment. So I'm about two years into your funnel and I think I'm, I'm ready to make the, the leap. Uh, I just got a, a, a bonus with my full-time job. So I think I'm ready to make, yeah. make that. So yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Well, and I, I want to talk in, in a little bit, I want to talk about designing the apron. Uh, but I want to I want to back up a little bit. Uh, yeah. Going back to your origin story of how you started Calavera, but kind of give me the origin story of of how you started your business. So the the real quick thing, um, and I, I'll try and be brief because, again, as I was telling you pre-show, it's not that I don't want to talk about it. It's just that I've been making stuff and uh, running a small business for long enough at this point where I I feel like this is as much as of who I am as that is who I used to be. And uh, so, I, right. but I spent my entire career 
in power tools. So I, I was in sales for Stanley Bostich. I was in, uh, I designed table saws and miter saws for Bosch Power Tools in Mount Prospect, Illinois. Um, and then I was the vice president of Festool for eight plus years. And, <clears throat> you know, that was literally in, in this industry of all industries, like you couldn't ask for a better job than that. I was, you know, it right. had the ability to all but run the entire thing for North America. And it was a blast. Mm. We had a, a really great time. It was very entrepreneurially, that's a word, minded and until it wasn't. And once it wasn't, then mm -hmm. once it wasn't, then I recognized it was time for me to, to bid my adieu. Um, at which point, yeah. you know, and, and no need to, to get too heavy into that, but it was, uh, we could save that for the after show. How about that? Um, there you go. <clears throat> I like it. But I knew forever that I needed to have my own company. And yeah, I'll say this. I was very hard to manage. I was, uh, they, they basically cut loose the reins on me on the day that they hired me. And so I got to mm. go a little nuts with things and it was amazing. It was a whole lot of fun. It was extremely liberating, but then ultimately it's their company and six, seven years right. into it, it was very clear that they were ready to pull those reins back. And I, it was at that moment that it was just like, okay, I got to go. Like I've had so much freedom for so long mm -hmm. in the thought of, you know, answering every single day to somebody on their agenda is just not working for me. So I, I knew that I needed to have my own company. Um, so with my, my wife's blessing and partnership, we, uh, we basically just said, screw it and left corporate and jumped off the cliff. Mm. And, uh, I literally taught myself how to sew on a 40 year old sewing machine that my mom gave me. Um, I didn't know anything about leather working. Um, I had spent uh, a bit of time trying to buy a leather tool belt company out of California. And that um, sadly fell apart due to tragic circumstances on the other side. But it was, it was there that I mm. really learned a lot about uh, not leather working, but the, the idea of leather as a, as a tool in the shop or on the job site. And <clears throat> actually, that kind of feeds into the idea of design um, was so this the company was Occidental Leather and I had been talking to him for almost a year about buying it and the um, what was it I, I think one of the things that intrigued me so much was you know these tool belts and I, I assume you're familiar with Occidental Leather um, if yeah. super super high end tool belts and these things are just absolutely gorgeous. But what blew my mind immediately was that they are making, yeah, you know, these Louis Vuitton tool belts for guys doing the roughest work on the job site. Like, you know, they make these just <laughs> absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous pieces of equipment. And it's for guys who are going out and slinging concrete and two bucks and you know, yeah. working at the, the rough stages of carpentry. Because once you get up to, to finish level, then you're probably using something a little different, maybe a little smaller. Um, so it, it blew my mind what incredible work they were doing 
for people who were just going to go absolutely abuse them. And that's what gave me the idea for the aprons was how is it that it's summed up in a, yeah, that sound bite. Um, it's summed up pretty simply, which is how can the, the people who are doing the roughest application on the job site be using the, the most refined, beautiful piece of equipment. Whereas the guys who are doing fine finish mm -hmm. work and building furniture at the, the highest levels are wearing a $35 canvas apron from Lee Valley. And that there was just this disconnect and in, in my product management days right that's what we were taught to look for were where is the void in the market where is the where's the disconnect mm. in the market where what part of the market is not being served and you know i don't i never i've never told anybody that heard never intimated in any way that i grew up around leatherworking and this is a generations old company no i started this after i left corporate i taught mm. myself how to do every single bit of it and as a matter of fact, a lot of the stuff that we do, I'm sure an, an off, you know, an old school leather worker would walk in here and clutch their pearls and feel like, oh, my like that lady does. Oh, it happens to Betsy. You know, like, because we don't do stuff in that traditional manner. I would love to see a leather worker yeah, say, exactly. oh, it happens to Betsy. But you know what I'm saying is that the... Yeah. We don't have, we're not bound by those methods. That doesn't mean that we don't create an insanely quality product. It's just that I'm not bound mm -hmm. by, you know, some of those techniques. All I care about is making something mm -hmm. that is bulletproof. And, you know, I think my, my years in the, the tool industry taught me how to do that pretty good. But again, to sum it up, it's like, how can these guys be using these amazing, amazing pieces of equipment, but the guys who are doing the fine finish work like they're just using absolute garbage. And so I, I set about to, to correct that. And I, I think we've we've made a lot of really happy customers along the way. Right. Yeah, I think one thing that you do is you integrate yourself very well. And I mentioned it in the, in the intro is you integrate yourself very well into the community by being one of us, you know, saying, but not just being a tool manufacturer coming from that background, but, you know, working with your hands, you are a maker. And this is how you form the company. So you relate well to the makers. You're not just somebody in a corporate office making designs and, um, you know, having a production uh, system, you know, where you where you send out the design and, and there are a bunch of laborers doing the work. You're doing the work. I literally sew up uh, every single apron, every single handbag, all of that stuff. I'm I am the only one at the sewing machine. There is... We, I, I have a young girl who works for me, and of course my wife works here too. But uh, the the young girl who works for me, she does all of our hand stitching, and then I do all of the mm -hmm. the bigger um, the bigger ticket stuff. And yeah, she'll eventually I'll get her on the the sewing machine. But when I first started, my my original vision was to have a hundred employees. I wanted you know I'll have an apartment to do this, and I'll have an apartment to do this, and I'll sit mm -hmm. over in the corner office and you know whatever drink yeah drink smoke, my tea and cigars, cigars. Yeah. <laughs> but then you know if you want to start a small business you got to be scrappy and i mean i guess right. one other piece of this is i've never borrowed a penny i've never borrowed anything mm -hmm. to to keep this going or to start it and i that was always mm -hmm. very important to me so i you know i think i could have probably gone that route and you know had all of those departments but 
you know, when you start a small business and, and you got to scrap and you got to hustle, a lot of times you find yourself doing the that hard labor yourself. And I did, and it was revelatory. It was just absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed it so much that, honestly, I never looked back. I just, I, I am so mm-hmm. happy sitting behind that sewing machine. I am so happy being in the weeds and making all of this stuff myself. I, at this moment in time, I have no intention of changing that. That's awesome. So tell me about your first piece. You you got the sewing machine and you start making your first uh apron what was was it an apron that you made first or was it like a, a wallet oh, yeah or something? no I, it was straight into the apron so uh, a buddy of mine a really fantastic furniture designer maker out in idaho he was in arroyo grande uh california for the longest time and when i was a festival i would go out and i would you know we would do photo shoots at his shop and videos and whatnot um really amazing guy he was he was such a critical part of all of our marketing for a long time but one day I was out of the shop and he he had this old beat up apron that he had cobbled together out of um, like a welder's jacket and some nylon uh, webbing. And um, I, I can't remember exactly what he said to me, but I remember the conversation where he was just like, hey, you know, um, if you ever find anybody who would want to make these, like, you know, these would be really awesome. Like nobody really makes these types mm. of aprons. And, um, you know, at the time I had a nice paying job at corporate. I wasn't going to do anything yeah. with it. Yeah. I took his apron. I took that idea to, this is again, while I was at Festool, but I took his idea because I knew the folks at Occidental Leather. And I said, hey, y'all are some of the only people I know who do leatherworking at this scale. And you're already servicing the needs of, you know, the the contractors would you want to consider an apron as well? And Lynn, one of the owners at the time, just shut me down immediately. And she was polite about it, but she was like, nope, our customer is the contractor. Our customer, you know, we have vest, but they're not going to wear an apron. It's not for us. And it was Mm. at that moment that I realized, yeah, they are not the same thing. Like you would, you Mm -hmm. know, a smart, small business, and they are by no means a small business, but a, a smart business stays focused. They know who their customer is and they stay focused on that customer to serve the needs of that customer. And if you continue to water that down by adding too many new products or too diverse of uh, a range of products, then you're not doing mm-hmm. yourself a, a service and certainly not your customers. And it, it becomes mm-hmm. unsustainable. Anyway, um, but Ben Rittering, um, he was the one who told me about the apron. And then several years later, after I had left Festool, um, he said, well, hey, man, you know, do you want to check out my apron? Like, do you want to just start making those? And I was like, I, I kind of like this idea. And next thing you know, he uh, mm-hmm. he UPSs it to me, and it shows up in the, the mailbox, and there's Ben Rittering's apron, which I still have here. and uh, But that was the, the original... OG Calavera apron and I went down to the the local leather store picked up a couple of hides and literally replicated it you know very simply because I didn't know how to sew and um I some of those initial like let's just say the first dozen little batch of a dozen aprons all of those are still around yeah they're they're all and those were some of the best aprons I ever 
made just because the super heavy duty leather um you know the ones that we make now are, are much more refined but those i was making out of um it's called veg tan the the different type of leather and uh i just made them out of this really heavy thick stiff leather and somehow convinced some friends of mine to wear them and then once they wore them they broke them in and they broke in absolutely beautifully the and then i i continued to make those and refine those for a couple of years um for the first couple of years and those were our original walnut aprons and i would you would have to like be very careful putting them in the box so they didn't break i mean these things were stiff as uh-huh. a board and uh i'm sure more than a few people opened those up and were like what in the absolute heck did you just <laughs> send me i can't wear this thing but the answer as uh chris griffo could tell you is Yes, you can, but you got to put some work into it. And that was the idea was, yeah, don't buy this if you are not willing to put the effort into breaking it in. And I mean, we're not talking about just like baseball mm-hmm. gloves. These things were so stiff, but to this date, none that we have made since then are, and I hate to say it, those are the most beautiful things we ever made. They were absolutely amazing because once mm-hmm. they broke in, they just looked out of this world. They were exactly what you would want. Yeah. But from a business standpoint, we had to answer so many questions about like, well, why did you send me something that's stiff as a board and I, I can't really use? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do I have yeah, to yeah. this I mean, thing down? There were so many concerns <laughs> and finally it was like, okay, let us get out of our own way and, you know, we don't have to be an artist about this all the time. So we found, you know, like our, our walnut bison, which gives you a lot of the same effect, but it's super soft right when you get it. Mm-hmm. I can tell by the photos that that walnut bison is the is the one that I'm looking for. The camo glory yeah, it's one so that you good. got posted on. <laughs> I the, love that the, one. So. That one's got my name yeah, all over it. The naming of these things yeah. is one of my, and usually it just happens. It's not like we don't send it to committee to come up with a good name. It's just like the Gator right. NATO is named after this monstrous mythical alligator that my my young son and I would go hunt on our farm. Um, we just oh, go wow. trudging through the swamp, and we we said that we were hunting for Gator NATO, and uh, so I named our nicest apron after the gator nato that's awesome yeah that's that's got to be a fun process coming yeah, up with the yeah names. exactly and like i said sometimes it just kind of hits how many uh different uh i'm sure there's some that you don't list anymore uh but how many different types of aprons uh have you made Gosh. well like, you know it's i would say we probably have a dozen to a dozen and a half named aprons like named styles and those are generally yeah. after you know they're either our, our classic which is our our number one or you know we've named it after a good friend of ours or somebody who's been key to the development of the company i'd say we got probably a dozen dozen and a half different styles and then you know over the years probably a, a dozen more that you know have come and we said they were limited edition and we stuck to it like Okay, we're only going to make yeah. this Black Betty murdered out edition this one time, and we're never bringing it back. So that was like a Black yeah. Bison. It's like the McRib. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Until they bring it back. Yeah. 
like we'll never do that again and then you get a dozen requests you're like okay i think we could do yeah. this one more but time in truth <laughs> I, I would say that that's one of the and i don't mean to jump ahead but like you were saying like what are we going to do in the next year that's definitely something that's on my mind is that we need to expand so that it's not just adding a different color to the back pocket because you know mm -hmm. growth is going to come from developing new products like the turner's edition or the um mm -hmm. excuse me let me rephrase that the the tom silva turner's edition yeah um, which <laughs> i'm trying to get him on the podcast that, if that guy's amazing <laughs> um but he uh are and then the the lowrider um you know the the waist apron those are that those are the places where we've had some really great incremental success in addition to the the standard apron line yeah i know um annie yeah annie's a good friend of mine i see hers on your website um that's really cool she's she's a great maker um and again going back to the personality uh you know or just somebody who's just a yeah. good human uh annie is annie's oh, just yeah, a great she's human. fantastic yeah yeah you, so you've got a, a bunch of different um different versions and uh you've got not only the the aprons but you've got wallets you've got trays all kinds of different things i definitely recommend people going out and, and checking out your website and um, i'll make sure to link all that in the notes talking about the high higher price point so if you're trying to bring somebody down in the purchase funnel mm -hmm. you know where you've you brought the brand awareness maybe they know a couple people who own them what sets calavera apart from the competition well, one thing is there's not a lot of competition and yeah that's a, a, a tough thing to say because you don't want to you don't want to tell a bunch of people to go out there and start making this stuff but when i started the company one of the reasons mm -hmm. i started it was there's literally nobody else making handmade right. custom leather there aprons. Can canvas aprons yeah there was, was all canvas aprons um but if i had to say two things that distinguish ours are one durability like we're not making them just mm -hmm. to make them look fancy. Like from a marketing standpoint, it, it's just kind of my vibe and the vibe of the company it, to just put out there. These are beautiful, you know, and not to be arrogant mm -hmm. about it, but they- They are though. You should be proud yes, of them. Yes, and from an artistic standpoint, I am extremely proud of them because yes, they are beautiful and they look awesome. And it's like that orange pop or that green pop just really hits you and it it allows you to express a little bit of personality but you know the understood i like to think the understood part of that is these things are i don't want to say bulletproof for fear of somebody you know testing that theory <laughs> yeah yeah but please, please don't you know the, <laughs> the idea has always been to make the the highest quality product you could possibly buy like there are we 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 do not ship out junk. I I personally make every <laughs> single one of these. Every single one of these has what I like to refer to as the Michael Williams walks the face of the planet guarantee. As long as I am living and breathing, literally, I, the company could be gone for 30 years. <laughs> if you, if that apron breaks down on you or, you know, like it has not met my promise of durability, I will, I will fix that sucker. Like I'll find myself a sewing machine. That's awesome. Until the day I die. I, and I, I think from, and I, I've never liked to consider myself an artist, but 
from the standpoint of just somebody who's making stuff and you know mm-hmm. is putting everything they got into it it's like i stand behind this thing for the rest of my life period mm-hmm. full stop and that's not to say that okay you wore a hole in it because you were you know hitting it with a grinder 10 times a day you know but nobody's mm-hmm. gonna send it back for that but anyway my my whole point was right durability no exceptions no compromises when it comes to materials or workmanship or, or whatever um and then the other thing is streamlined like i, I have turned mm. away more customers that i can tell you because they wanted to add the dumbest stuff to the aprons and <laughs> you know at some point i should i really should not yeah. say that but put that in there i don't care because yeah we build within a system you know, it's like, okay, you could choose, you got, if you were to, to count up all the combinations and permutations, you're talking about thousands and thousands of different options. But I also believe in keeping these things streamlined. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, I'll do something custom just to see how it turns out. But, you know, when people just put a zillion things on the front, or they want to put a zillion things <laughs> on the front of the apron, I'm just like, nope, that's not me. We don't do that. And it's not right. that I don't want to take the time and custom do all of this stuff. But what they're asking for is a billboard. They're asking because they mm-hmm. want to put a 12-inch woodpecker's square on their thigh. And I'm like, you're working in a workshop. Put the square on the counter or hang it on the wall. Like You do yeah. not need to be walking around <laughs> with 15 pounds worth of stuff on your person at any yeah. time. Like. You know, if you're some weekend warrior and you just wanted to look good for pictures and you want everybody to see that you got the latest woodpeckers on there, fine. But there's probably somebody else right. that will throw the kitchen sink at these things, and that ain't me. So you're saying that there's no chance of a podcast apron? <laughs> <laughs> no, what I'm what I'm saying is I think that just because you can doesn't mean you should. And from a design theory standpoint, the way that I've always looked at these is that as a tool, as something that will help you make, help make you work more efficiently, you are better off if you keep this thing streamlined and don't put a bunch of crap on it. And I mean, that's ultimately up for the customer to decide, but we stay within our Mm -hmm. system. We say, this is what we're going to make and we're, we're not going to get too far out of this. And also, we make a lot of aprons. We make a lot of aprons. We make a lot of aprons, a lot more aprons than probably most people realize we make aprons. And if if I were to get into super crazy custom stuff, that doesn't work with our business model. Right. How many aprons would you say that you make in a year oh, gosh. on average? Many hundreds. Yeah, I, I couldn't yeah. tell you exactly, but and- it's it's high hundreds. So let's talk about the process a little bit. Um, you go, somebody orders an apron off your website or or reaching out to you and says, hey, I want to add these bells and whistles or whatever. So from from that point on, uh, walk me through the, the process of well, how you... Well, actually, until I, am, out. I am always more than happy to walk somebody through the whole process. You know, somebody DMs me, somebody wants to pick up the phone, somebody wants to email me. I do that every single day. It really is no problem, and I don't want to sound like I don't want to do that because I'm more than happy. Well, now, now you can send them up this podcast clip. That's right. <laughs> um, but uh, the way that I designed the website from the very, very beginning is 
that all your options are right there. You know, you pick what size you're going to wear. And, you know, who was it? John Wicks said the other day, he was like, you know, I'm not exactly sure how he made this thing fit so good. I really only gave him two measurements. I don't need a million measurements. Like, I know, you know, like, if you tell me your height, weight, and general build, like, I know how to make this thing for you. And so what we've done is we've broken that down on the website and let the customer sort through. Like, okay, we make eight different sizes. Then you could do wide cut or standard cut. And then all of the other pocket options and add-on options. And all of that is right there on the website with tons and tons of pictures, not to mention all the social media stuff that, you know, it's pretty rare that somebody buys something and configures it and they don't know what they're getting. Like they know exactly what they're getting because Mm -hmm. we give them so many options on the website. But what we've done is we've spelled it out so well based on seven years of making the almost eight years of making these things that it's very rare that we hear from somebody that we got it wrong. You know, it's, well, mm-hmm. actually, put it this way: in almost eight years of making these things, um, our anniversary was actually like three days ago. Um, oh, nice! Happy anniversary! Thanks. But in that many years of making these things, my wife and I, every time she hears me say this, she's like, "Yeah, we have never gotten that many back." Like, I might have gotten back four or five hey. out of thousands of aprons. I might have gotten back, let's just say to be generous, six <laughs> aprons because they were the wrong size or wrong fit or they didn't want it or it wasn't what they were expecting or whatever. And, you know, maybe another dozen that I had to resize. You know, somebody got it, it was the wrong <laughs> size, they read the the chart wrong, whatever it is. But it's all spelled out. And if you follow those basic instructions, we're going to nail it every single time. Yeah. Okay, so the, the order comes in. And you're ready to to make that apron. Uh, what's the what's the timeline? And and walk me through how you make how you go through that process. So they order it through the website. Uh, Marie prints out a, the the order sheet. It goes up on our order wall, and it lays out every single thing that they want. And again, kind of baked into our system is you know how we're gonna you know what options they have and where they want those options. And so it's very clear. And um, so it goes up in the order wall. The My assistant, the, the young lady who works for me, she will take it and then she will go through the shop where we have pre-made a lot of these component parts. You know, the the tape clip add-on, the towel ring add-on, the, the lower pockets, the upper pockets, all of the stuff is ready to go. So, <clears throat> you know, once it kind of hits uh, the point in the timeline where we're ready to get to because we got to batch these things too. You know, we've got other things. We do right. corporate orders. We might be making handbags. We might be making belts. So when it's time to make aprons, my assistant, she will bundle all of these pieces together, roll them up, and then I'll go through every one of them. A lot of times I'll text the the customer and I'll be like, hey, you know, are you sure you want this here? Or do you want this here? Or how about this? You know, can I upgrade you to this? Mm-hmm. You know, no charge. Like a lot... <laughs> Marie would probably want to kill me the number of times that I'll upgrade people because I'm like, (laughs) this is just going to be a better solution. Like, I wish, you know, do you mind if I put brass on this just because it's going to look so much better? Um, But I I feel like I I do a pretty good job communicating with customers as I'm putting 
putting them together. Not all the time. If it's super straightforward, I'm putting that sucker together and it's yeah. gone. Um, but if it's anything tricky whatsoever, I immediately text the customer back and forth, back and forth, send them pictures of how it's going to look. They approve, and then we push it through the system. Um, but the um, timeline, you know, I would say for a standard, easy, you know, nothing super crazy, two to three weeks max. Okay. Um, the Turner's edition, those are ch- those are a lot of work um, mm-hmm. because those don't fit in the normal batch schedule. Like I have to make. I have to kind of hit a critical mass of Turner's editions, and then I'll go make a dozen of them at a time. But mm. I don't just randomly throw one of those into the mix of everything else that I'm doing. Yeah, that makes because sense. The the neck guard and uh, uh, all the snaps and just all the specialty elements on that um, just make for a really, really challenging build. So if somebody were to come to you and they said, look, Michael, you're the expert. You know, this is the work that I do. You're the expert. Here's my price point, or, you know, I want to stay within this budget. How would you design a custom apron for somebody? Is that something that you would do? Um, you know, if I'll be perfectly honest with you, um, if somebody were to say, hey, I want all these bells and whistles, and I want it to be, you know, this level, and I want you to totally you know, move away from your, your system that drives your business. Um, and that's going to be expensive. That's going to be, mm-hmm. you know, I just tell them up front, this is not going to be inexpensive. Right. Um, and even then I, I don't want to say I lose money. It's not like I'm losing money. I'm here at the shop a hundred hours a week as it is. Right. Like it's, it's cutting out from your other time. Yeah. It's cutting out from my other time. But you know, for instance, a guy <clears throat> recently, wanted a, a special version of the the neck guard for the Turner's edition. And then there was another guy before him who wanted like a special pocket on it. And they didn't even ask for price. Their price was, was not a consideration. But at the same time, it's like, okay, I think about my time as working in the shop. Like, I'm not going to charge them, you know, hundreds of dollars of, you know, design time for a pocket on an apron, I I accept it mm-hmm. as an investment, right? Like, okay, I'm going to figure out how to make this pocket. It's going to make me better at this, and I'll learn something that I could use on something else down the line. Maybe a new product comes out of it. But more often than not, and, they, you know, the customer doesn't realize this, and they don't need to. This is fine. But, I and I enjoy it, but it's challenging. If somebody wants something super yeah. special... Like, it's not like, oh, I'm going to just take 10, 15 minutes and prototype this. Like, no, I got to push everything else out. I got to be the only one in the shop. I got to do it after hours, and I got to push everything else away so that I could focus on this mm-hmm. one thing. It might be two, three hours of just solving this one little problem. And mm-hmm. that is tricky. It's super rewarding and gratifying. But it's also, you know, it, it's very difficult. It's very hard to put a price on something like that. Um, yeah. And that's why I only agree to do it if I think that it's going to push the product line forward or, you know, it'll it'll be something fun that will teach me some new skill. But otherwise, I'm perfectly happy yeah. to walk away from business 
just because there's a, there's a bunch of time that goes into those custom special deals to execute at the level that I'm comfortable with it leaving the shop. So on that, the guy who wanted the special neck guard, like I made it out of a, a leather that I don't normally do, which meant that I hemmed the entire thing, which meant, you know, hours worth of prototyping just that one element. It wasn't even like that was a mm, fraction yeah. of all the stuff, but it was like, I'm not sending this thing out if this thing is not next level amazing. What's the strangest uh, request that you've had to add onto an apron? Strangest thing to add onto an apron. Ha! The alligator, for sure. <laughs> and I've been doing it for three years. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many people want alligator on an apron. That just so completely took yeah. off. Um, was, uh, yeah. yeah, I had a guy who drove an alligator hide from an alligator that he had harvested personally. He drove it down from Illinois. His. He was so excited about it. And uh, he was like, hey, I, I want you to make me an apron out of this. And I was like, well, I can't make you an apron out of it, but we could do something. And so we cut off some parts of it and we added it on to the, the apron. And he was so in love with it. And I was so in love with it. And that was, therein was born the, the Gator NATO. Nice. It just seems so weird at the time because I'm not into exotics. Yeah. If you ask me to make something out of elephant, forget it. I'll kick you out of the shop. You want me to make something out of some like <laughs> endangered, you know, rhinoceros tusk? Hell no. I'm not touching that stuff. An alligator, yeah. I got I got two hundred alligators on my family farm. Like no problem whatsoever. So you get you source you a lot of your stuff, I imagine, in, in bulk. You have a a few different suppliers that you go to and the bulk of our leather comes from one of the last tanneries in North America, uh, Seidel Tannery out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So we order okay. hundreds and hundreds of hides uh, at a time um, a few times a year from them. Okay, so I've got a question here from Justin Addy, who's one of our Patreon members. He said, what's the hardest thing about getting your business up and going? Honestly, it I would say, well, let me take a step back from that and say, if you've got a day job... Keep that day job. Get your side hustle mm. cooking. Get your side business rolling. Um, and once that's rolling, then jump off the cliff. I just jumped off the cliff. And, you know, I think I, I don't have any regrets. I've never had a single regret, not since I started this thing. It, you know, minor regrets here and there. But, you know, you got to be ready to jump off the cliff and put it all in there. But that doesn't mean that you should do that, you know, while you so, you shouldn't jump off the cliff if you can maintain that safety net. You know, does that, does that make sense? Like, yeah, it yeah, yeah. I think having that safety net as you jump off, if you've got some security, I think is a fantastic thing. And, um, but right. for me, I, I didn't want to give myself that option. Like, I, I don't think mm -hmm. that I would have had the success that I've had had I had too much of a security blanket. I just had to go all in. Mm -hmm. um, it was yeah. jump off the the cliff and do or die. And, you know, mm -hmm. we've been rocking ever since. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there's there's a couple different types of people in the world. You know, me, eventually I'd like to take this full-time, the woodworking stuff um, and the podcast. But, 
you know, for me, I have to have that security blanket. I have to have yeah. the six months of, you know, uh, expenses and everything covered before I do something like that. But that's because I'm, I'm, I don't perform well under that type of stress. Like I need that margin. Yeah. Uh, but then there are people, sounds like you're the other, the other type who's like, yeah, okay. Now I've got, I've got a lot of fire under my butt and I, I can't let go. hundred percent. And I mean, I just yeah. remember for the first couple of years, and I mean, still to this day, just like this entire thing rests on my shoulders. Like if I don't mm-hmm. post to Instagram, if I don't send out my weekly email, if I don't do the things that I know are the main levers of the business, then the business fails. Like it, right. what you realize is nobody is coming to sweep up after you. Nobody is coming to, oh, well, you know, you tried hard. You know, it's like the bank bailouts. Like ain't nobody coming mm-hmm. to bail out Calavera. Like we either make it or we don't make it. Yeah, nice. Um, so, what's the funniest story uh, since you've been owning your own business? You know, something funny about running your own business. Gosh, put me on the spot with that. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, funniest. I, you know, on a couple of levels. Um. So I, when I started the company, I I started the company, started designing the products. Again, that was back when I thought that I was going to have tons of employees and other people to do this stuff. And um, at one point, I had a partner, and we owned another brand. And I that went south, and I I sold that part of the company. And in that moment, we had just moved down to Charleston, South Carolina, and. Uh, I I was kind of at a, a turning point or a fork in the road, so to speak. And I, it was like, okay, I am either going to go back to corporate or I'm going to go give the, the aprons a try. And Marie and I sat down and we agreed. We were like, okay, we're going to give it a year. We're going to give the aprons one solid year. And if they're profitable mm-hmm. and we're having fun and we're paying our bills, we're going to keep on going. If not, going back to corporate and mm-hmm. it was around that time and again sorry funny is is subjective um <laughs> yeah but definitely it was at that time it was like okay i got a thousand followers on instagram and what i realized was i gotta go all in because when i back in the mm-hmm. the days of me wanting to have a company where i had multiple departments I didn't have to put my face all over Instagram. I didn't have to make it rain. I didn't have to, you know, be the crazy <laughs> man. And uh, <laughs> what I realized was if I was going to make a go of it, that I had to go all in. And it's, uh, I'm kind of okay. laughing to myself because it's not a funny story, but I had to learn to be funny. <laughs> like I, I had, to, I had yeah. to step out and put my personality on display, which is not something that I wanted or thought that I wanted to do. And I got to say, that was five years, five, six years ago. No regrets. I That's just been nonstop mm-hmm. good times and just so much good, yeah. positive feedback. And I, I would say that's been an extremely gratifying part of it is we don't talk politics on Calavera tool. We don't, you know, we're not waving. We're not putting any of that stuff in front of anybody. You're coming to us for good times. 
you are coming to us to forget about yeah. all of that other stuff. Like, you know, you got enough other people and places and platforms, you know, telling you how to think or, you know, imparting wisdom or whatever. I'm not here to impart wisdom. Like, come over and have a beer. We can right. talk. But I ain't putting that out there. It just it doesn't fit. It, right. There's no sense whatsoever. And um, but I I think what I've done a pretty decent job of is figured out how to strike a balance between, you know, running a business, putting myself and my personality out there, and helping people understand who we are and why we're doing what we're doing it. But also the through line is that we're having a good time. And we want you to have a good time. Like this, life's too short yeah. to, to take everything too seriously. Yeah, I think that's great. Well, I want to make sure that people go out and follow you. I'm going to put your your links. We've got uh, Instagram at Calavera yep. Tool, YouTube Calavera Tool, and Facebook are your uh, your primary methods. And uh, yeah, if anybody wants to, to reach you, send the a only DM. fans account we can that could be post show. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We, we will head over to the after show where we'll talk a little bit more uh, in depth. And so if you want to be part of that after show uh, content, go to patreon.com slash maker lounge podcast and sign up to be a patron on any level. We've got three, eight and $12 levels. And we do a shout out of the top tier patrons at the end of the show. And so I'd like to thank Jimmy McAnally, Archiano Sirio, Wim Design, Calvary Customs, LLC, Clean Cut Woodworking, Bailey Thompson, Dave Garcia, Broken Lead Woodworks and Starks Lagoon. In addition to those new patrons, Dennis Stilger, Dennis Ho- or David Hopkins, Patriotic Pines of North Carolina, and Brad with Brad's Customs. So thank you to them. Also, thank you to Surf Prep for sponsoring today's episode. Head over to surfprepsanding.com and enter code MAKERLOUD for 10% off of any of their products. Michael, thanks for being here. We'll head over to that after show. Yeah, man. Happy to do it. Good times.